While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. That's the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. And it's a call-in show, people. If you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in. I want to hear what's on your mind. I want you to call us. Tell me what's keeping you up at night. What drives you? What science question might be on your mind? And as always, I am joined, of course, by science writer, editor, dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Greetings, Bill. Bill, uh, it's good to be here, not just with you, but with this whole team of talented engineers and producers who digitally modify this podcast into an extra appealing form, modifying us and perfecting us into something better. Modifying us? Yes. Making us better suited to the conditions here in the recording studio. That's an interesting coincidence because today we are joined by Dr. Rob Fraley. He's a World Food Prize laureate and the former CTO, that's Chief Technology Officer of... Monsanto. Dun, dun, dun. And he helped develop the very first genetically modified seeds of any kind. Uh, Rob, Dr. Fraley, welcome. Good to be here and good to be with you guys. You're retired now, right? I am. So that but makes I'm you still working consultant. harder than ever. Yeah, that's what happens to guys like you. Now, Rob, you grew up on a farm, and this is how you ended up doing what you do. Is that right? Absolutely. I uh, grew up on a small farm in Illinois, and we had crops and a little bit of livestock. And uh, growing up on a farm does a couple things. First of all, you get to see the cycle of life really up close and personal, uh, you know, with livestock and with crops. And you know, one of the things you learn is you learn early on where food comes from. And I can remember my grandma going to the uh, hen house and pulling out that chicken and showing me how she turned it into a drumstick when I was about five years old. And I also remember... Uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, my dad sitting around the kitchen table watching that rainstorm that we needed kind of go too far to the north and the frustration and, you know, the challenges that farmers face as they try to grow a crop. Even the, the precariousness in some ways. Being close to the land like that, uh, you really get a sense of, uh, of how farmers, uh, they live on the farm. Most of them have the goal of passing that farm on to their kids. 
So, you know, there's a real sense of, uh, of environmental stewardship. So, uh, you know, I kind of took those things with me as I went through uh, college. And after I finished my uh, degree at Illinois, I uh, got the luck of a draw to, uh, to get out to San Francisco right in uh, the time when the biotech world was starting. So when did Monsanto, was it Monsanto that hired you? Mm -hmm. Yep. I joined Monsanto in 81. I retired last year. So I had uh, 40 uh, great years of, uh, you know, not only uh, watching the uh, the science and, you know, having those spectacular moments when uh, when we could first tell that the technology was working. I, uh, you know, I learned the patience of, uh, you know, 15 years of, uh, you know, developing and testing and making products work and Pretty cool. We had a group of, uh, of about a half a dozen scientists. In a nutshell, what we were able to do was harness a natural process involving a specific kind of bacterium called agrobacterium, which can naturally insert genes into plants. And uh, the classic example is if you see a tree or a rose bush that has that, uh, that bulge on it. The goiter. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the gall or the gall, goiter. The gall. That, yeah. That's a bacterium putting a gene in a plant cell to make those cells grow. We took out the genes that caused the, the, the gall and replaced with the gene that, you know, we could track and had ultimately value. Now, what was the original hope? I mean, what, what, did, what was the Monsanto's vision? They're like, we're going to hire you and we want to make what? Blank. What did, what did, they, what did yeah. they think they were going to do by genetically engineering these plants? I think it was a couple of things. Um, you know, back in the, uh, in the, uh, in the 70s and early 80s, uh, you know, they were looking for new businesses to get into. They'd been in the uh, in the chemistry business largely. They, you know, like a lot of companies, they started back at the turn of the century in, in you know, making Turn of aspirin, the last century. The last century, yeah. You and I know what that means, I, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> things are going to change. That's so they, the one they thing were looking for on. something new. And then, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, the scientists there, uh, Ernie Jaworski, he, he's passed away now, but he was a, a real leader. He was actually involved in uh, getting the company to make early investments in some of the biotech industry. And he was looking at this as a new opportunity and things meshed. I mean, uh, you know, having the, the place to be able to bring this science together, having a company that had, you know, agricultural origins and and had a sense of, of what it would take to create new products and that, you know, that farmers would uh, would focus on. So, you know, our first products were, uh, were, were really targeted at helping farmers. Uh, we introduced genes into cotton that would help protect the plant against insects, damage. Boll weevils, right? Uh, cotton bollworms. Bollworms, Corey. Bollworms, yeah. The other big cotton pest. I mean, you're, you're right on track there. Eventually, we introduced that same approach in corn because uh, corn gets eaten up by, uh, by caterpillars and worms as well. And then the uh, weed control. It's important for everybody to remember that farming is not natural. This is quite an insight. And we've been working on it for the last 8,000 years. <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, we're getting better every year. Yeah, because if you stop farming, it goes back to a prairie or a forest or a desert or and, whatever and, it was. And, and you stop eating, which has uh, got which, important consequences. Well, for humans, yeah. Right. Now, now, so, now back in the day, there, there was uh, this very successful branding slogan, you know, better living through chemistry. But somehow, you know, the equivalent slogan, you know, better eating through genetic modification, that never took hold. Why not? I, I don't know. And, and the irony, of course, is that everything we eat and is in some way or another been genetically modified. And the Wait easy... a minute. I see labels that say proudly non-GMO. 
Well, there's always an argument on what is a GMO, and it and actually, as we progress in our science, that answer gets more and more complicated or blurrier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, genes are constantly being evolved and changed by nature, and they're actually being moved in between uh, species. And so, uh, maybe it was a little scary early on when you talked about you know being a you know genetically modified organism. food. Yes. You know, and the way I like to describe it is if, you know, if you, have a, if you have an iPhone and you add an app to that iPhone, you haven't changed the iPhone. It's still an iPhone. Uh, but, you know, if you've got a plant and you add another gene to it, it's still a corn plant or a soybean plant, but with a new and better property. Right. Well, people have a lot of questions about this, in part because of a, a lack of knowledge, and we're here to address that. This is a call-in show. We've got a caller. Uh, Bill, I believe we have Steve on the line. Steve, where are you calling from? New Hampshire. And what's your question? Well, I wanted to start off by saying I really respected that uh, you, Bill, changed your mind on your stance on GMOs. And I'd like to know if you could kind of walk us through the process that led you to be able to change your mind. And then how do we teach this process to other people? As a science educator, I'm sure... That is uh, one of your key ideals behind this podcast and uh, for other people to take away from this. Well, we change everyone's mind in the entire world with this podcast. I think that's pretty pretty accurate. No, Steve, I kid. Uh, <laughs> so what happened was my sister uh, lived in Australia for a year. My uncle took my sister with him. As before we had the term au pair, before we had the term nanny being so common, trying to get uh, a teenage kid to wrangle these toddlers and, uh, and uh, eight-year-olds. And I guess my sister was mediocre at it, but she spent time in Australia. And the, she came back with these fantastic and horrible stories about introduced species, the cane toad that just has made a mess out of the Australian ecosystem. And uh, and then we did the Science Guy show where it was pretty well proven to us by experts that the more diversity in an ecosystem, uh, the more robust it is when the environment changes. And uh, you get diversity by letting things just happen, letting nature take care of itself. So I had the impression that uh, introducing species that would not otherwise have come to be in an ecosystem – was akin to or analogous to introducing an invasive species. So uh, that if you want to have an ecosystem be healthy and robust, don't mess with it. It really was not my idea that scientists who are modifying genes were causing harm. It's just that there's a chance of unintended consequences. And this uh, influenced my, all my thinking until Dr. Fraley, after a debate which happens here in the big city of New York, New York, Town so nice, they named it twice, uh, where you <laughs> debated some people from, one of whom was from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Right. And uh, Dr. Fraley made very compelling points about uh, the nature of humans, scientists, geneticists, modifying crops for the betterment of humankind. And then I, he, got, he came up and started talking to me after that debate. Got in my head. He got in my head. So then I paid on my own dime for a trip to St. Louis, Missouri, and I toured Monsanto, and I was very impressed. Uh, I remember it was maybe 20 years ago to sequence a human genome would take about a month, 
at Monsanto, in the case of corn, you guys can sequence the whole flipping thing in five minutes. But I went to Monsanto. I walked around, listened to everybody. I looked at the extraordinary work that they were doing. I think our team said you asked about a million questions, if I recall. <laughs> and That sounds like Bill. And then the other thing I did, I spent a lot of time looking at glyphosate. This is what you all call, we all call Roundup as a brand name. And I decided that glyphosate is really not this horrible, evil thing that kills everything. It's it's targeted at these certain fast-growing weeds. <clears throat> and then I interviewed some my uh, uncle, the same guy that took my sister Australia, uh, was an, uh, a gentleman farmer, and he had friends. And I talked to pe- those guys, and I found out that everybody uses glyphosate. <laughs> like every <laughs> farmer really rely uh, any many many farmers rely on glyphosate. Because it kills weeds really well without screwing up much else. Yeah, it means that, you know, in the old days when I was a kid, I'd come home and we'd plow our fields all the fall in order to control the weeds. You'd dig up the weeds and turn them over. But you're not only digging up the weeds, you were digging up the soil. And whenever you do that, you were releasing carbon, you were releasing moisture. So you're really having a, a very negative effect on the environment. Now what farmers do is they just kill their weeds and they go ahead and plant and they don't have to do all the tillage and have all the erosion. And, uh, and I'm, you can read the scientific papers, you can do it yourself, but uh, fields treated with glyphosate have more diversity in the uh, microbes that live in the soil. And then I had uh, cross paths with this home gardening system, with, through Ed Begley, of course, Ed Begley Jr., big environmental guy. And organic farmers spray the leaves with BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, which is the same thing that's in the soil, the same thing that uh, the genes of which were put into the successful. So these things all came together for me, Steve. There was also a book that you were working on, I believe. Well, and then this guy, Corey Powell, was hassling me, and he really challenged me on this. But in the first edition of the book, Undeniable, Bill's Evolution Primer, Primer, I stuck to my diversity is good, don't mess with it gun. But after a couple more years went by, I just changed my mind. I decided that genetically modified crops really are in everybody's best interest. The problem was, Rob, you all patented the genes, did not promote the idea that uh, genetically modified crops are great, and you became this pariah. Monsanto became this pariah for for taking over small farmers and killing them almost with your bare hands. Let's ask Steve. Steve, why why does this question interest you? Why 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 were you kind of invested in in Bill's evolution on this on this position? Really, it mirrors uh, evolutions that I've had many times in changing my mind on various subjects. Oh, this is great. What, what have you changed your mind about? Well, uh, back in the day, I always thought that climate change was something that uh, was being overblown because I didn't think human beings were capable of really effective. Yeah, Yeah, capable of changing a planet. And I've had to change my mind on that. That's great. Uh, You know, and I think that is a mark of intellectual honesty that I would love to other people embrace. Well, let me fill in a few blanks here that, that Bill might have left over. I mean, going back to that intelligence 
Square debate. I just want everybody to know he was a real pain in the butt with his question. So <laughs> I, I, I kind of sought him out afterwards. It, it was an exciting night. Uh, who would have ever thought that the uh, pro-GMO side would win a debate in, uh, in New York, New York? And I have to give all the credit to my partner, uh, Dr. Allison Van Ennenem yeah, from, uh, from yeah. UC Davis. She was great. Uh, I give Bill a lot of credit. You know, he, uh, he uh, showed up in, uh, and asked a lot of questions. And uh, I think we did buy you lunch. So there's no truth to the rumor that no, you were— you bought, I don't know of who bought it. We went to the cafeteria and it just showed up. That's right. That's right. But, you know, your point, changing your mind is the hardest thing to do. And, you know, just like uh, the caller said, you know, I grew up on a farm. I, I was probably a, a bit of a climate uh, skeptic myself. And I had a, a great mentor in St. Louis, Peter Raven, who was the uh, head of the botanical garden, who uh, used to uh, change my mind. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's the hardest thing for people to do, but it's the most important thing for progress. If not, you end up like you're in politics or something if you're just holding on to, to views and, and opinions without letting the facts and science you know, guide the decision. Steve, this is a great question. Thank you very much for getting us started on this. Uh, thanks for calling. Thank you very much for I, all you do. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. And Bill, you know, somebody who's watched this process of you changing your mind from the outside I think there's one really important point from uh, from Steve's question that you know, the the whole framework of how you change your mind is you have to accept the idea that curiosity and being able to change your mind is a virtue rather than a vice. Stick around for more science rules after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Science Rules is back. A lot of the problem or challenges for you, Rob, in your business back when you, before you retired and relaxed all the time, uh, was a misconception or the belief or the fear that genetically modified food was somehow different from food. And so this brings us, I believe, to our next caller, Emma. Emma, you're out there? Where are you, where are you calling from? 
Hi, Bill. I'm calling from Connecticut. And you have a question for Dr. Fraley. Yeah, my question is, do GMOs have the ability to alter the DNA of the organisms that consume them? Like that is the essence of it. If yeah, I that's, eat, a, that's a big question. If I eat modified, po- genetically modified popcorn, modified by humans, popcorn, can that popcorn change my DNA? Right. <laughs> I, I, I eat BT corn and am I now a, a BT person? <laughs> Good question, and uh, that's one of the, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the safety, but it starts it starts with the fact that all living organisms have genes and have proteins, and so, you know, whether you're eating a hamburger or BT corn, that DNA, that protein is digested in your stomach and uh, just turned into amino acids and nucleotides and nutrients, so there's, there's absolutely no... Uh, no concern on the on the safety of eating. It's been said that the food you eat as a mammal, the food you eat is no more inside you than your finger is inside the hole of a donut. In other words, it passes through you. The the proteins in your stomach are digested with between probably ten and seconds in a minute. All right, that's that's one thing. Yeah. But isn't it a true fact, not a false fact, that when the corn borer is he a beetle? She? The corn board's a caterpillar. Caterpillar. Yeah. So it's a... If you ever opened that sweet corn and you had that worm inside yeah, of yeah. it, that's the guy we're talking about. So that's Lepidoptera. Yep. Right. It's an order of insects, the butterflies and moths. And uh, if he or she eats the corn, it crystallizes in his or her gut. Yeah. yeah the protein actually binds to a receptor, a very specific receptor that's only found on that worm's, the caterpillar's gut. And it causes, uh, it punches a hole in the gut, basically, and, and eventually stops feeding the insect. Well, why doesn't it. that happen to us, to because, uh, Emma's point? Because we don't have that receptor. And in, in our system, uh, the protein is degraded just like, you know, protein from any other, you know, food source we eat. I, I think the question also, Emma, gets to the, to the, to really the key issue of, uh, you know what? What are the really the the proofs of safety for for GMOs? Don't you just and, feed them to lab rats? And well, th- there is there feeling? is the lab answer, which is uh, there's been lots of studies and tests done, and and you know um, this whole area of science and product development is you know regulated by the FDA, the EPA, and the USDA, and it, you know these are 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 you know tested and and thoroughly studied. I think you know the the real biology answer to your question is. Uh, you know, genes and are in every living organism. Genes move. Uh, we digest genes and DNA and protein all the time, and there's there's nothing. And then, I guess from a, a practical perspective, what I I I tell you is, you know, we talk about GMO still like they're brand new. You know, we've been they've been in the food system for almost thirty years, and in thirty years, there's not been a single issue of illness or food safety. And I just compare and contrast that. If you want to, you know, put a benchmark in, if you think about dietary supplements, they send twenty five thousand people to the hospital every year. A corn plant or a soybean plant has, you know, twenty five or thirty thousand genes already. You know, we're typically adding one gene that has a very, very specific, very precise function. And when you're eating that corn plant or soybean plant or, or tomato, um, 
you're digesting all of those genes all of the time, and that one gene really makes no difference from a dietary or nutritional perspective. Emma, thank you. This is you've asked perhaps the most important question ever. Is uh, does in, it in the history of questions? No, but can but it? No, can it make you sick? Is it? Does it affect you? It's just a great yeah, question. No, it gets to the essence of, of I think what a lot of people fear about GMOs. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for calling. Yeah. Thank you. The other thing people fear is uh, monocrops or overproduction. And is it true that um, putting these genes in that make it make a plant resistant to glyphosate to round up uh, or tolerant of it, making a plant uh, uh, resistant to bull worms, making a plant resistant to borer worms or caterpillar, these things all uh, enable enormous stretches or fields of corn or soybeans to be going much bigger than was ever possible. The the interesting thing is that if you think about it, you know, from a conceptual perspective, what this technology has enabled is a great increase in the diversity of crop genomes. And when you you know, fly over Iowa and Illinois, it looks like all that corn is the same, but in reality, the advanced breeding techniques, the use of markers, the use of the genetic engineering markers technology. And genes. Markers and genes. Right. To be able to breed and create new combinations even faster. The diversity of our crops today is broader than it's ever been. And I, and I think the, the, the last piece that's really important because you, you mentioned the monoculture piece, almost all crops are grown in monocultures. If you're going to grow organic avocados in the Central Valley of California, you're still growing all avocados. You know, you're not interspersing them. So almost all production, whether it's conventional, uh, biotech, or organic, is done in monoculture. The importance of, of thinking about the monoculture, particularly in the Midwest, and, and I think this is a key point, is farmers every year are making a decision, do I plant wheat? Do I plant corn? Do I plant soybean? If they're a little farther south, they're going to plant cotton. It's not a decision that they're going to plant something that's going to last for 10 years or 100 years. So it, it has an enormous flexibility to respond to both market needs and production challenges. So, Bill, you know who I think is going to help get us to a little deeper a feeling, into this question? I got a feeling you you, you know somebody. I, 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 know, I know a guy. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got this guy. His name is Joel. Oh, oh, and he's on the line. That's the cool part. Joel, thanks for calling. Where are you calling from? Hi, I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts. There you go. And what is your question? Hi, uh, thanks, Bill. Uh, you actually touched on this a bit earlier. Um, I love the potential of genetic modification, especially in terms of of growing food, uh, growing crops with lower water and fertilizer use. Uh, but what concerns me was when they're modified to withstand a pesticide or herbicide application. Um, you said that glyphosate doesn't have any adverse effects in humans. It, it only targets these specific weeds. But how do we know that it doesn't affect any of our biological pathways when they're designed to disrupt the biological processes in these other weeds? Aha. How about that? Dr. Fraley. You know, the challenge is how do you control weeds? In the old days, people used to pull weeds by hand. You still use, do, Rob. You do that in you. some parts yeah, yeah. of the world. Uh, you know, you cultivate and you till, but that has a lot of, of negative environmental impacts that I talked about earlier. You dry the soil out so, and reduce you know, diversity. So, a single application of glyphosate, we're talking about, you know, 
a land piece of land the size of a football field. We'll, we'll use a, a just a few ounces to control the weeds. You know, it's it's an economic and uh, and you know I think of an environmentally attractive choice for a lot of farmers. And uh, you know these products have been tested and screened and analyzed for years. And I you know I think in the end in the net net it's a great trade off for farmers. And it's you know a product that's used not only by farmers but by homeowners for uh, controlling their uh, their weed pests. Now what about this lawsuit? where a gardener claimed that he used so much glyphosate for so many years, so much Roundup for so many years, that it gave him cancer, and he won. Um, you Are know, you not allowed to comment? Well, you know, let me just say this. So, you know, glyphosate's been around for 40 years. It's been thoroughly tested by every major regulatory agency in the world, you know, the EPA here in the U.S., the the European regulatory system, all of those regulatory bodies have uh, have come to the clear conclusion that, you know, glyphosate is not a carcinogen. Um, there was an unfortunate outlier report from the um, IARC group in Europe that came to an IR group? international uh, uh, research for cancer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, it came with a different conclusion. Um, Put it in perspective, the European regulatory process took about four years to complete the updated analysis of the data. Uh, the IARC review was less than a week. Um, IARC is the same agency that's determined that coffee, red meat, cinnamon, and night shifts are, are carcinogens. Um, so it's an outlier, and um, you know it's an unfortunate situation and. In, in many ways, I think in the end, science will prevail, you know, and, you know, that's certainly something that, you know, as we talk about GMOs in general, uh, the science is one thing, but, you know, as you've always uh, championed, the communication of science, making people comfortable with it, and making sure that, you know, it ends up with the right policymaking are really key. All right. Now, what about the bees? I have met beekeepers who insist that glyphosate has killed their bees. Actually, if you, if you take it at a high level, the um, the the biotech traits, particularly the uh, the insect protected crops, have have been really beneficial. Prior to these crops, farmers were often using broad spectrum insecticides that would kill all the insects. With the BT crops, you're only targeting that caterpillar, so you're getting very, very specific bees control. Can t- bees can handle the protein. They don't eat the corn. Yeah, they don't eat the corn. They don't ever get exposed. They don't have the receptors. So you've really seen a, a huge improvement there. You know, I think the, the science really on, on bee health, the, the experts that, that I've met with all really focus on the, the culprit with bee health is the varroa mite. So this is another example of one of those pests that's so, traveled— around the world. You guys, this thing, you go to these bee meetings and the varroa mite, imagine a big crab, like a Dungeness crab on your chest. Now you're going to walk around and enjoy your day with a crab <laughs> on your chest. And that's what this mite yeah, is. Yeah, so, so think the movie Alien. Yeah, uh, it's right. Kind, it's it kind really of like is. that. Yeah. So there's an animal much smaller than a bee that is a parasite for the bee, another arthropod, another... And, and not only is it a parasite, you know, kind of draining the bee blood, the hemolymph, but it's also infecting the bee with viruses. And it's weakening the whole hive. And that's, 
most people accept that as the, from the science perspective, that's the cause of colony collapse disorder. Is this now, mite? The, the mite. And so the, the, the good news is there are these advanced biology tools being able to understand the sequence of the bee genome, the mite genome, are creating the opportunity to use some of these tools to target the mite specifically. You know, it's a real challenge to think, how do you control one insect living on another one? Is, is the mite an insect or some other arthropod? That's another arthropod, yeah. but yeah. But it's the idea of how do you do that targeting? And some of the new advanced techniques like the, uh, the RNAi, probably some of the gene editing tools, uh, are are going to create, I think, unique opportunities for uh, for protecting the bee population. So we're covering a lot of territory here. And Ribonucleic uh, acid interferon. <laughs> is that what that is? RNAi. Yeah, so Joel, I hope this uh, put your mind somewhat at ease and, and uh, sort of took you off into a, uh, a number of new things to think about. And thank you totally, for calling, uh, Joel. Definitely. Uh, thank you so much. I would love to see a future where we have glow-in-the-dark uh, street trees instead of uh, street lights. Ooh, Ooh, that's awesome. There's a company working on that, as you know. Uh, Wow. Science Rules will be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Science Rules. Well, before we go or start to go or do the next thing, Carl, Carl, are you out there? Uh, Where are you calling from and what's your question? Hi, I'm in Sparks, Nevada. Uh, I've been to Sparks, the home of uh, Jug's uh, pitching machines. And so what goes on? What is your question? (laughs) Uh, I want for you guys to talk about how uh, GMOs can help plant-based foods uh, taste like animal products, but are better for our health and the planet, like how Impossible Foods has made the Impossible Burger, and they're working on the Impossible Steak. Any comments on Impossible Burgers? Uh, I've tried them. They're, they're actually pretty good. Uh, so what have they done? They've put the heme They gene. put the heme, and they've used a variety of different, uh, uh, you know, extraction of different uh, plant proteins and done the formulation. There's some really cool things going on, as you know, in this whole area of using both uh, the GMO technology, but increasingly the uh, the gene editing technology, which in many ways is the next generation. Uh, you know, gene editing has you know has just been around for the last six or seven years. But the I think the last time I looked, there's now fifteen thousand scientific publications on gene editing. It's being used across a variety of uh, opportunities to cure your human diseases as well as uh, as uh, improved crop agriculture. On the human health side, people are using it to literally uh, cure genetic diseases, cancers, AIDS. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable tool. Our food supply today is, uh, has been one that we've uh, created in terms of uh, you know, higher yields and better nutrition. Particularly, though, on the gene editing side, if you look at the 15 products that are being now tested and developed, 
almost all of them are nutritional enhancements. We've got soybeans with healthier oil. We've got uh, potatoes and apples with better shelf life. Uh, people are researching how do you take the allergens out of peanuts or uh, how do you take the gluten out of wheat. I mean, I, I, see a, I see a wave of new techniques using gene editing that are approaching, uh, you know, improving uh, foods. And, uh, you know, the beauty of gene editing is think about it as a, um, a search and replace function on your computer. You know, with gene editing, you can uh, quickly go in and replace a given base pair and a given gene. Uh, I was judging science contests at the high school level last year, and they were doing gene editing studies in in high school. So the beauty of this tool, unlike the GMOs, it's not introducing a new gene. It's changing what's already there. So it's not going to have the extensive regulatory costs. It's accessible, like I said, by kids in high school. We're seeing there may be 100 new companies starting up using this technology across the country. We're seeing this technology being used by small startups in Africa. You're not concerned that somebody's going to misuse it and accidentally create a deadly combination of something or other? No, no more. I mean, gene editing is no different than breeding. You know, every time a breeder makes a cross, they're recombining and creating mutations and, and new genes. It's the same type of testing and selection that we've used for 8,000 years to, you know, turn the you know, the wild crops into cultivated crops and our fruits and vegetables today. So, and and most governments are looking at it exactly through that lens that, you know, the process of gene editing creates the same kind of products that would come from traditional breeding. But it's well, faster and more targeted, right? Very precise. And that's the beauty. So, and, and lower costs. So unlike GMOs, which, you know, as Bill knows, you know, only some of the larger companies could afford to do this really democratizes the the access to the technology. In fact, you know, I'd make the point that when you look at the future, one of the things that's going to be so much different from the past is you, you take a look at the advances in gene editing can be used universally. Small companies, large companies, universities, high school kids. You think about the advances, you know, with digital ag and the fact digital that- Digital ag. Like- Digital the, agriculture. Digital agriculture. The fact that for the the ag industry, the farming industry is the last industry of the world to become digitized. You know, we have, you know, think about smallholder farmers in Africa. 70% of them have access to a cell phone. And that means that they can now get weather information. They can get agronomic advice. They can explore which village has the highest price. These tools are... are are dramatically changing information flow and accessibility to be able to grow better crops around the world. And so they're very different than the kinds of advances that, you know, were used in agriculture up until today. The other thing is, is it true that most of the time when you breed a new crop or modify it, it works not as well as the existing one? It's only now and then that you get an improvement. Is that a myth? Um. I would say that uh, you, you, 50, you make 50. a lot of crosses, but you're only screening, selecting, advancing the stuff that's better. You know, when I when I was a kid leaving my dad's farm to go to college in in uh, in 1970, the corn yields in this country were for the first time um, there were 75 bushels an acre. 
75 bushels an acre. So can you do that in metric for me? Uh, I can do it in pounds. It's 55 pounds to a bushel. Today, they're 175. So it's almost a factor. Of th- it's more than a factor so, of three. And that's happened in all the crops. So these processes of breeding have now become better because we know every gene in the plant. We're literally being able to breed gene by gene. We There's- can grow three times as much food. On per one acre. Hectare, per acre and, and, and than the, when you were a kid. And the key to that, and, and you know, we, when we talk about agriculture, it's hard not to talk about climate change. Because in many parts of the world and, and in many you know, perspectives, agriculture is a contributor to greenhouse gases. I mean, we have every time you plow, you release carbon. You've got the— uh, You've the tractors got, and you so got on. the fertilizers that release nitrogen. You got the cow farts that release methane. It's really, they're belches. Am I right? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. So there's a con- contribution there to climate change. On the other hand, you know, I'll put this into perspective for you. You know, when I grew up, when I was born in 1950, there were two and a half billion people on the planet. Now there's seven and a half billion. We've added five billion people, but we're still farming about the same amount of land as we did in 1950. And that's because the unit production per acre has increased so dramatically. And the last point that's important in that is plants are the only process that's natural that fixes carbon. So every time, you know, these crops are increasing their photosynthetic capacity and their yield, they're actually, you know, contributing by absorbing and fixing more carbon. In fact, a a high-yielding Midwest cornfield actually is a net carbon fixer. Whoa. But but then that I mean that corn gets harvested and and recycled. I mean it, it's 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 carbon neutral. It's not a it's not a permanent carbon sink. Well, they they put the you know it, again. So just the science here is if you're using if you're not tilling the soil, those roots and leaves you know stay in the soil. So and if you're using cover crops and you know we can see the path forward, you know where high yielding crops will be sources of carbon sinks. Whereas if you kept tilling those fields in the old style, all that carbon would be coming back out. Right back out. And if you were growing 75 bushel acre corn versus 175, you're not fixing nearly as much carbon. There you go. Carl, that was a great question. You took us, you took us a long way there, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So Sarah, Sarah T. has a question about CRISPR. CRISPR is gene editing which is not the same as gene modification. Is that right? That's right. Sarah T., are you out there? Sarah T. Hi, Bill. I'm here. Uh, Where are you calling from? Columbia, South Carolina. There you go. And what is your question? My question is, is CRISPR the main tool used for commercialized production of GMOs, or are there other older tools out there still in use? That's a good question. Rob? Well, I would say most of the, the GMO crops you know, that are in the market today in corn, soybean, and cotton are all produced using the uh, older agrobacteria. Oh, the old, way back, the, yeah, know, 40 you know, years the ago. The stuff back when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so and this is using the, a virus to this, carry this, this, this stone, is the bacterium. Stone, stone yeah. knife and bear skin style of yeah. genetic engineering, I believe they so call it. So it's interesting. It's a natural process that we've piggybacked on to introduce genes into plants. It's very efficient. It works with the broadleaf plants like the soybeans and the grasses like the corn and uh, and others. But today, uh, increasingly, uh, uh, we're using the gene editing tools. There's a variety of gene editing tools. There's some of the the protein-based ones like the talons. There's the uh, talon. Talon, T-A-L-E-N. 
and that uses a, a, a protein that, uh, that can cut the DNA. And, of course, the CRISPR system came from bacteria. It's a defense mechanism, really, and a protection mechanism in bacteria. The other thing that's going on is as scientists are doing more and more of the genome sequencing of different microbes, new gene editing tools are being advanced almost every year. So are, are CRISPR tools in any of the, were they used to create any of the food that we're eating right now, or is that not commercialized yet? Not right now, but there's a, about 15 products that are awaiting final approvals and moving forward. When you say products, what are you talking about? Uh, well, the ones that are, that are most noteworthy, there's a, a soybean with a healthier oil. There's the potatoes and apples that don't brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's people right now working on, you know, taking that uh, allergen out of wheat and out of out of peanuts and crops like that. And and one of the really exciting ones is plants, you know, fix carbon through photosynthesis. They're studying that whole photosynthetic pathway and starting to make the subtle changes to improve the efficiency of photosynthesis, which would really unlock uh, a lot of future yield. So if I understand it, uh, and Sarah, this is a great question. Uh, If I understand it, photosynthesis relies on the sort of reddish light. Mm -hmm. And one of the great evolutionary mysteries or ironies or interesting ease is that (laughs) plants reflect all this green light, but green light's the most abundant light from the sun, most abundant frequency from the sun. And it's more energetic. It's great light. Yeah, it's super light. I love that light. uh, So are you suggesting or proposing that there might be a future plant that uses a more energetic part of the spectrum or what, or just was it going to be more efficient? I think there's a, right now they're targeting greater efficiency in the process. And, you know, there's, you know, as you said, there's the light harvesting, you know, centers and the reaction centers that, that create the, uh, the energy to be able to do the, the carbon uh, fixation process. But uh, clearly things that we would have thought impossible a decade ago, now with the gene editing technology advances where you can actually you know think through this that that search and replace function to modify a, a complex set of uh, the proteins that mm-hmm. would be involved in photosynthesis now are possible so so I'm picturing redesigned chlorophyll that uses green and blue light and yeah, fields, fields, and fields of red plants. So, yeah, they, they you know, giant red fields. Well, copper beaches. Yeah, I think of. you're telling me that's possible, or it, at least it, it is being worked on by scientists today. Wow, yeah. and there'll be a future when. Why did they want things green? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I can, well, anyway, uh, Sarah, Sarah T, thank you. A great question. Thank you very much. Thank you. Carry on. Oh, Corey. Uh, wait, it's, is it raining in the... Oh, no, that's this, That's thunder associated with lightning, meaning right. lightning It's the shock round. waves in the atmosphere lightning and the round. lightning round. Lightning yes, round. so, okay. Rob. Are you Dr. ready for Freddy. lightning? I'm ready. All right, what is the weirdest thing you eat, Rob? Oh, gosh, let me think. Let me think. What <laughs> is the weirdest thing? What do you thing? eat the most of? Uh, I love uh, I love all kinds of seafood, so I like to eat octopus and things like that. The traditional St. Louis diet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ocean-going animals. Do you recycle? I do. Uh, what do you recycle? Um, for us, it's uh, usually a lot of plastic bottles and paper. All right. Uh, do you uh, prefer paper or plastic bags at the grocery store? I almost always get paper. All right. Uh, almost always. Almost. Yeah. Do you use green energy? 
Renewable uh, energy. I'm well. I'm uh, I'm in a part of town where we don't have solar panels. Wow, that's weird. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, so, is your energy company going to provide that soon enough? This is in Missouri, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have uh, we have access to uh, to nuclear plants in Missouri. Uh, you know, that's always uh, for me the option that's on the table that we need to look at really hard. Would you like to see everything we eat engineered? Well, I don't have to wait for that because everything we eat today is engineered in one way or another. You know, here's the simple test. If you uh, if you landed on uh, on Plymouth Rock and you said, what, what do they grow in this big country? The only thing we would have had back then would have been probably uh, strawberries and chestnuts and maybe some wild sunflowers. Everything else we grow in this country, corn came from Mexico, potatoes came from Peru, wheat came from Asia. Uh, all the vegetables came from Europe. They were all, you know, selected, bred, and genetically modified to grow in this country. Thank you, Rob Fraley. Thank you for joining us for this uh, exciting episode of Science Rules. Rob, great having you here. It That's... really has been great. He is the former CTO, Chief Technology Officer of Monsanto, which is now Bayer, right? That's right. Yep. And he helped develop the very first genetically modified seeds ever used on any farm 40 years ago or whatever. Speaking of which, I was going to talk to you about a little problem we have. What's that? What's that? Well, you know, those uh, those corn plants that you made a couple years ago, uh -huh, yeah. uh, we still got them in the greenhouse area. We're thinking we may need to charge you a little bit of rent for those. <laughs> I mean, they're taking up uh, quite a bit of space there. <laughs> Let so. me know. So uh, thank you, Rob, for coming on the show and giving us really a good perspective on genetically modified organisms in, generally and, in general and genetically modified food. I'm Bill Nye. I am Corey S. Powell. And remember, when it comes to the genetically modified part of our universe, science, science rules. So if you like the show, uh, please rate and review it on uh, Apple Podcasts. Check it out on Stitcher because the ratings and the reviews really help us uh, improve the show. They help us find what people want to listen to. And it spreads the word about the show so that more people will listen so that we can, dare I say it, change the world. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer today is none other than Jared O'Connell. Mixing and the original theme music were by Casey Halford. And special thanks, of course, to Claire Rawlinson. And keep in mind, everyone, Chris Bannon is the CCO, the Chief Content Officer here at Stitcher, where science rules. Stitcher. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 